a proud member of the Earglue Media family of podcasts. You're listening to Simply Stogies, a monthly podcast dedicated to the cigar enthusiast. Light up a stogie, sit back, relax, while James brings you along on his journey as a new cigar smoker. Simply Stogies will review cigars, discuss topics that cigar aficionados find important, and we'll probably learn a few things along the way. Now, here's your host of Simply Stogies, James. Thank you for listening to Simply Stogies. I am your host, James. This is going to be a very special episode. Not only do I have two very special guests from the CRA, the Cigar Rights of America, but I also have several very special announcements. First, Ear Glue Media has a brand new podcast, The Film Appraisers. The podcast that valuates your favorite films. Join Josh, Joe, and Todd every month as they discuss a film that their guest holds dear and determines its worth with a critical evaluation of its narrative, technique, music, longevity, and uniqueness. Each episode, they will make their guest an offer they can't refuse. So head over to eargluemedia.com forward slash TFA and check out The Film Appraisers. In fact, yours truly will be on episode two of the film appraisers, which should be out April 4th. The next announcement that I have is also a very special announcement, and it comes from simplystogies.club. They are very happy to announce a brand new website and forum. If you'd like to become a member of simplystogies.club, please send me an email at simplystogiespodcast at eargluemedia.com or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and DM me there. On Twitter, it's at simplystogies or on Instagram, it's simply underscore stogies underscore a podcast. So be sure to check out simplystogies.club for some exclusive discount codes to online vendors. As always, simplystogies.club and Simply Stogies Podcast get nothing from promoting these offers to our members and our listeners. Just the same access to some great deals. My last announcement comes from pupperdoor.com. You'll remember in my last episode, I mentioned Pupperdoor.com as a great storage option for new cigar enthusiasts. Pupperdoor.com was gracious enough to reach out and extend a 10% off coupon code to our listeners. Just use the code SIMPLYSTOGIES, all one word, at checkout for a 10% off a Pupperdoor. Now, let's say hello to our very special guests joining me via Skype. First, Executive Director of the Cigar Rights of America, Glenn Loop. 
Thanks for being here with us today, Glenn. My pleasure. It's great to be with you. We also have one of the two CRA ambassadors for the state of Iowa, where I happen to be located, Tim Allen. Tim, thank you for being with us today as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before we get into some of the heavier philosophical and political questions, I'd like to have a bit of fun first. Glenn, we'll start with you. How did you get started on your cigar journey? Well, that's a good question, and I'm trying to have a flashback of answering this question a few weeks ago on a on a show. They're all starting to run together, frankly, these days. Uh, there's been it's almost like this is the new year, and and we're looking at the end of March, and it's been a flurry of activity since January. And I know we'll get into all of that, but so my journey really began a, a little over 22 years ago. And uh, a local entrepreneur put up just a world-class, locally-owned steakhouse in Roanoke, Virginia, in my hometown. And it was we walked in, and it physically was divided by a brick wall to the local 100-year-old cigar shop that I'd really never patroned. And I walked into that steakhouse, which had this opening bar when you walk into it dark hardwood sinatra playing in the background candlelight uh just and it, I, you walk into it and it was one of those atmospheres that just said you're supposed to be smoking a cigar here and it was welcomed it was encouraged uh they had a humidor in there i went next door to the cigar shop uh bought a cigar that i thought was fitting of that atmosphere which i rarely talk about what i'm smoking uh, cause when you work for about 65 companies, they're all your favorites. Uh, but, but it was Ernesto Corello, uh, La Goria Cabana. And I just, I just looked at that band and I went, that's the band of a cigar smoker. And, uh, went back into the, into the steakhouse, into the bar there, my wife and I, and, and, uh, lit up and haven't looked back ever since. Now here's the important question. Is that steakhouse and hundred year old cigar shop still there? The 100-year-old cigar shop is still there, uh, and the uh, and the uh, steakhouse is still there. But thanks to our former governor Tim Kaine, who's now a U.S. senator, uh, we can't smoke cigars in there. And that's well, really what drew me into the politics of cigars, uh, because a local state senator uh, proposed the first proposed smoking ban in the Commonwealth of Virginia in 2006, and I helped was part of pulling together the state. This was way pre-CRA. Uh, plenty of the state retailers at the behest, they just did what I did for a living as a patron of the local cigar shop at that juncture. And uh, we pulled together a coalition of retailers and the like to fight it off in 2006, 7, and 8. And uh, so even though you can't smoke cigars, there's still one of the best steaks you can put in your mouth. And uh, the local cigar shop has a wonderful new private club above the shop. And so we, you know, it's kind of, uh, there are two blocks apart. So we, we go up to the club and we reminisce about the old days at the steakhouse. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like someplace I need to visit the next time I'm in Roanoke. Tim, let's ask you the same question. How did you get started on your cigar journey? <laughs> well, my story is a little bit different. Um, it was actually in 2008 I was uh, stationed in uh, Kuwait. It was my second deployment. And uh, my primary responsibility 
was to uh, drive trucks. So I was basically a semi-driver for the guard. And when we got over there, our mission changed a little bit, and I ended up working in convoy operations. Um, so I was stuck at the base seven days a week, and after a few months, we started to get kind of a battle rhythm, and I had a little bit of downtime, and I needed to find something, um, some sort of hobby or something to really occupy my time. And I, I wish that looking back on it, that I could remember exactly why I, I said, I, I got to get into cigars. I'd like to think that, you know, uh, maybe I was walking to the shower or something and I smelt a cigar or saw somebody uh, enjoying a cigar. And I said, Hey, I think that's something that I could get into. Um, so I, you know, being overseas, I jumped online and I, found an online retailer that would ship to an APO and I bought myself a humidor combo starter set, absolutely not knowing what I was doing and, um, gave it my best shot and kept doing research. And I ended up getting, um, in touch with a pretty good group of, uh, cigar enjoyers, I guess. Um, and I just made really good friends with them and I learned a lot and I just kept on growing and growing and growing. And, you know, uh, I was listening to your first podcast and that really started making me think about this question actually, before you even, uh, reached out to me and asked me, and I, I really wish I had a DeLorean and about 1.21 gigawatts of electricity so I could go <laughs> back to that time and, and, and experience that all over again. It is definitely a unique experience and something I certainly won't forget anytime soon. Let me also thank you for your service, Tim. Between Absolutely. The two, between the two stories, I'd rather start at the steakhouse in Roanoke instead of Kuwait. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. <laughs> I don't want to put anyone on the spot here because as Glenn said, you don't want to alienate anyone that you have relationships with, but, do you remember the last cigar that you smoked, Glenn? No comment. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. I mean, I literally, let me just speak anecdotally about that because literally I don't. Because, because like I was mentioning before we started, uh, I, I just got back from the Tobacconist Association of America annual meeting in the Dominican Republic where uh, 72 to 75 of the, of the top retails, uh, brick and mortar, Cigar shops in, in America were gathered with, oh, I'm thinking 30 or so of the uh, of their associate members, which are the manufacturers. So we were there from the last weekend through all, most of last weekend. That rolled straight into Cigar Aficionado's Big Smoke, Florida, which was held this year at the at the Hard Rock and uh, outside of Fort Lauderdale. And I, I lost count of how many cigars I've had in the last 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally did and it was one of those situations like the trade show where you know and i, I tell the fda these stories i know we're going to get into all that but there are certain events like the trade show in in july in vegas or a big smoke uh you'll have one in your mouth from start to finish of the event with ipcpr it's from a breakfast meeting at eight in the morning till you you know finish on the strip at two in the morning then start all over again then you get home and you don't want to touch one I said, if, if that doesn't prove cigars are not addictive, I'm not sure what does. Um, 
I mean, literally, you could have one all the time, and then all of a sudden, you sit there and say, you know, I need a break. And that's the the way I am right now after the last 10 days between TAA and, and Big Smoke. So, you know, literally, I, and I know that, that memory is something at, at this age, but uh, but I cannot tell you what the last cigar I smoked was. But I know that's there was all- a, I just know there was a bunch of them. No, that's all right. I, <laughs> I couldn't tell you what I had for breakfast. So that's where my memory's at. Tim, what about you? What was the last cigar you smoked? Well, the, the last cigar that I smoked is the one that I'm actually smoking right now. Um, people that know me and uh, people that I enjoy cigars with know that I'm always going to gravitate towards a cigar that's primarily Nicaraguan tobaccos. Um, it's just the profile that I, I really like. So um, I saw an article that uh, Punch came out with the Diablo. And uh, historically, to my knowledge, Punch is a Dominican cigar. So I decided to give this one a try. And about the first quarter inch scared me. But now that I'm into it, I I really do enjoy it. So I'm glad I bought more than one. Very nice. Very nice. Before we get into the Cigar Rights of America, who they are and what they do, Tim, how long have you been an ambassador for the CRA? An ambassador, just actually, to be honest with you, just a little bit over a year. I believe it was uh, November, November, December timeframe of 2017 when I submitted my application to uh, become an ambassador. And uh, it was actually shortly after I became a member of the Cigar Rights of America, I became a member. I was surfing the website and I stumbled upon the ambassadorship program and it just spoke to me. It reached out and I said, what I want in Iowa is I want to be able to communicate with people who enjoy cigars. I want to be part of that lifestyle and I want to make it uh, more well known in Iowa Uh, because, and I know uh, James, you and I have talked and Um, when you get into the big city, you can find a lot of people, but once you start getting out into, uh, the, the smaller towns and so forth throughout Iowa, um, it it gets a little harder to find a good place to go and enjoy a cigar. And it gets harder to find people to hang out with and enjoy those times as well. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Now, Glenn, when did you start the Cigar Rights of America? What year? And can you speak to the growth of the CRA? Well, I didn't start it. Uh, it started before the, uh, I joined the staff as, as director. And it really came about in the summer of 2008. Um, lead, the year leading up to that point, the premium cigar industry was really for the first time ever in the political crosshairs of the, of the United States Congress. The S-CHIP proposal came out to fund the State Children's Health Insurance Program. That's what S-CHIP stands for, State Children's Health Insurance Program. And tobacco taxes were the target for funding that federal program. And again, for the first time, really, the premium handmade cigars specifically were in those political crosshairs uh, for, for funding that program. The original proposal was $10. You can't make this stuff up was literally $10 per cigar tax. Wow. Federal cigar, $10. You can't make that up. That was the original proposal coming out of, I think, the Senate Finance Committee at the time. 
And, uh, and the industry was together in Houston, Texas for its annual convention. I was there just as Joe consumer, uh, with, uh, with Shorty Cable, owner of Havana Connections in Richmond, Virginia. I was at the time lobbying for the state association of retailers in Virginia. And I was just tagging along like so many did and do at the trade show. And all of a sudden the place went nuts with, we've got to scramble. We got to go to Washington. We've got to battle this proposal. And it was at that juncture that they realized the industry needed to do something different politically to mobilize itself and to create a grassroots voice uh, to reinforce its political positions. Um, after that trade show, uh, which would have been seven, eight, seven, 2007, um, they, Rocky Patel, Christian Aurora, George Padron, Jeff Borchwitz with Corona Cigar Company in Florida, all scrambled, went, went to Washington, and their grand strategy was to speak to anybody willing to speak to them. And that was their quote as to how they approached that dilemma. To make a long story short, much longer story short, uh, it was chiseled down to $3, then it was chiseled down to the current $0.40 cents per stick that we experience today. Uh, so in 2008, they gave birth to Cigar Rights of America through a national tour, if you will, uh, to launch things. And um, I didn't come on board until December of 2008. So it was virtually over that, by that month's time. And so I really consider you know, January 1, 2009 as, uh, as sort of our official beginning with the staff and, and resources and a mission, if you will. Nice. So what does the CRA do today? You know, that's what I love about it is every day is an adventure. And I was thinking about this. I didn't even make this list because we were going to have this discussion tonight. But I, things were so hectic between 830 this morning and about noon that I started to just make a list because of the di diversity of what was happening today. So literally, you know, you begin the day with a flurry of emails about a the a tax cap proposal in, in Nevada. Then we switch gears to a proposal to ban tobacco sales in the city of Beverly Hills, California. Then last night at 11 o'clock, we released the new house bill calling for a premium cigar exemption from FDA oversight, HR 1854, that we'll talk about shortly, I'm sure. Then that switched to answering questions from cigar, various cigar media then that switched to scheduling uh, an economist for a Capitol Hill briefing on the economic impact of regulation, then switching back to a proposal to raise cigar taxes in Minnesota, and then back to dealing with the, uh, with the Beverly Hills ban. I mean, that was before noon. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But th I, I say all that just to dramatize one thing. No two days are the same. Everybody thought or thinks you know, how complex could this be making a cigar, selling a cigar, enjoying a cigar? And the political dynamic has totally changed because of the politics of tobacco in this country uh, at all levels of government. And whether you're talking about a place like Beverly Hills, California, that wants to ban the sale of tobacco as a perfectly legal product, um, to a state of Minnesota that passed a 50 cent tax cap and now wants to revert back to a horrible, horrible tax structure on premium handmade cigars that only affects less than a dozen uh, shops throughout that state uh, to dealing with, you know, building a co our rebuilding the coalition in the United States Congress to support 
our position with the Trump administration against federal regulation. And we'll talk about the progress that's been made on that front over the last couple of years and through the litigation and the and the political effort. So really, it's the diversity of these issues that that you know gets you up in the morning and keeps you going to the wee hours, like last night being on the uh, on the phone texting and exchanging with our staff in Washington about the the release on the uh, House of Representatives legislation yesterday. So um, and it's so geographically diverse, and we'll get into some of this in, into some of your other other your, of your other questions, but. Uh, it's dealing with the different states, the consumers, the retailers, the manufacturers in so many different states. Um, you know, the premium cigar industry is headquartered not just in Florida and Pennsylvania. It's spread throughout the country. And there are brand owners and, and producers, and that's one of the reasons we rolled out this coalition of cigar rollers that spans 17 different states to dramatize the, the artisan nature of this existing in places you never traditionally would have thought of. So all that kind of snowballs into the whole message that, that every day is an adventure in the, in the politics of cigars. Well, I think that really brings us around to this next question, which is any kind of organization like this, a grassroots political movement, if you will, needs money. And the CRA collects that money through dues. Now, full disclosure, I am a Cigar Rights of America member. But when you collect those dues... Where do they go? Well, let me go back for just a, a couple of seconds before I answer that. With the, I gave you just a rundown on you know some very specific items that I confronted today, or we might confront week in and week out. But the fundamentals are threefold: fight smoking bans, fight local and and state tax and regulatory measures, and ward off the heavy hand of the federal government and the regulatory program that's been advanced on the cigar industry. And so I want to just clarify that that's the fundamental core of the mission at, at any given time. Uh, and you're right. It takes resources to, to do that. And we have a very lean staff of, of five. We have an office in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have a, a field staff member that's in Colorado. Uh, and we meet virtually all of our direct overhead with the dues that are raised through uh, consumer and retail participation and creative fundraising like our, our CRE sampler that we do every year that we're getting ready to take on a much more national level. And uh, so the core of it is is consumer, retail, and fundraising type of activities to meet our direct overhead. That allows us to preserve the larger, uh, far more significant uh, contributions from our manufacturing partners for the big ticket litigation and lobbying advocacy efforts in Washington, where we have certain consultants on retainer because of the need for specialized attention, whether it's with House and Senate leadership, House Democrats, Senate Democrats, or House and Senate Republicans. And we have two different firms on retainer to, to assist with that process in addition to me and our in-house staff. So uh, collectively and, and together, it's covering all, the entire country, plus the, the con concentrated federal effort, uh, plus the litigation with a very lean staff and a very lean budget, if you will, uh, covering a lot of ground. It sounds like it. It absolutely sounds like it. Now, you mentioned the heavy hand of the government. And the FDA, I, I really feel, embodies that in a way that some of the other bureaucracies don't. 
what exactly, or maybe can you explain exactly what the FDA is trying to do with the tobacco in premium cigar sales, uh, what their current rules are, and where exactly we're at with that? Because it kind of feels like that's shifting every day. Well, no, it's really not. Uh, the dialogue might be shifting, but the the rules and the state of the rules and the like has, hasn't changed much at all since they were proposed. Now, there's been stays and there's been delays, and that's important to point out. But you know, one of the first acts of the, of the Obama administration was signing the Tobacco Control Act. Um, that gave the, the agency direct purview over cigarettes and smokeless. To go beyond that, they had to go through a, what's called a deeming process. Between 2014 and 16, that's exactly what the agency did. Then they, on in uh, 2016, they advanced a final rule, which was about 299 pages, of which 40 of them, uh, more or less, really stuck it to the uh, premium cigar industry. And by that, I mean, when they came out with the deeming rule, uh, it was everything in the kitchen sink uh, thrown at the industry. We were hoping that that would be pared down and more selective in the final rule, and it was not. And I call it Velcro politics, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And that's been the modus operandi of the agency ever since. And it, the most disastrous parts of the rule, just to be abbreviated about it, is uh, pre-market approval for new blends going to market. New user fees on the industry for the pleasure of being regulated by the federal government, which amounts to about five cents a cigar. Um, you know, the threat the, of a testing regimen for a totally unknown set of chemical and otherwise characteristics of a, of a premium handmade cigar. Um, and that's a whole different discussion that we'll chat about in a second. And then the warning labels, which are completely silly and, and overkill, where they propose to put to cover 30% of the top of a cigar box, 20% of the front, 20% of the inside of a cigar box with these warning labels for which there's absolutely no scientific grounding in, in the rationale to put them on a, on a box to quote unquote warn the public. I thought about this the other day. I was in my local grocery store and I'm going to put this up, probably do it tomorrow. But I was thinking about this, you know, I've, some of the cigar companies that had already produced product shipped out cigar boxes with the warning label on them. And they wanted to, you know, then the court put a stay on the implementation of that rule. And we can chat about that if you want to. But so the box is shipped and it gave people an idea of what would happen to a cigar box if this rule went forward. I was just looking down to, I've, and I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. But I looked down at a carton of cigarettes, and you know what's on the front of a carton of cigarettes? A no, tiny warning. No, zero. <laughs> if you look at the front of a carton of cigarettes, there's no warning label. None. Zero. No, it's on the individual pack. Exactly. The front of a carton of cigarettes, there's no warning label. That blows my mind. For an agency that said they were going to regulate according to what they called the you know, the pendulum of risk, the continuous, now it's a, like a, acts like a pendulum, the continuum of risk, where you have cigarettes and smokers on one end of the continuum and, and cigars on the other. 30% versus zero. That's not the continuum of risk. And on a pack of cigarettes, you look at the front of a pack, the front of a pack. There's no warning label there either. 
So I, you know, the agency is using us as guinea pigs for what they would truly like to do to the cigarette industry. And that's all it is. We're guinea pigs. And, and uh, that's the reason we've got to fight it off. And our litigation counsel is doing yeoman work and has, you know, acquired the stay from the court to, on the implementation of that rule. And, um, and, and the other big win lately was a delay in the advancement of testing procedures on premium handmade cigars, which is, was just a couple of weeks ago uh, by the agency because, you know, nobody's ready for it. Nobody knows how to explain it. And nobody knows how to advise companies to go forward with it. Um, so those are a couple of the, uh, uh, victories, if you will, but they're short term and we need to institutionalize them. We need to, uh, advance the notion that these types of delays and, and, uh, uh, stoppage, if you will, of, of these types of rules that can just decimate this industry need to become permanent under the Trump administration. And how does the CRA do that? How do they influence those types of decisions? Well, we uh, we work on messaging from congressional allies of the administration, and that's one of the reasons we continually have this legislation introduced, like was done on January the fourth in the Senate and yesterday in the House of Representatives. And we also facilitate our own meetings with the administration. Uh, we've met continuously. We meet with the White House Office of Management and Budget. Uh, the White House Domestic Policy Council, the uh, Secretary of Health's office, the, we had industry presentations to the FDA. So we take our message directly to the administration at, at every conceivable angle, and we have that message reinforced by allies in Congress that are on, literally on both sides of the aisle. Now, you spoke earlier just briefly about some of the cigar manufacturers preemptively putting on these warning labels. Do you believe that some cigar manufacturers might move to plain label packaging without regulation as a sort of way to get ahead of possible FDA and government regulation? Absolutely not. Uh, one, I mean, plain packaging is a phenomenon in Australia and coming to Canada and, and it's being flirted with in England. Uh, but there's something on our side against that issue, and it's called the First Amendment. And and really, the uh, the agency and the federal government, I think, would be barred under the Constitution from going to a plain packaging, uh, prohibiting speech, if you will. Uh, they can the the Supreme Court has you know sent the FDA back to the drawing board to come up with new packaging for cigarettes, and that's the reason they'd love to get thirty percent on us because if they can accomplish it with us, they can, like I said, go after it with the cigarette industry. But, you know, this whole notion of putting decayed body parts in plain packaging is a phenomenon that I simply don't think are going to come to the United States. But compelling a, a, a grotesquely unnecessary white label covering far too much real estate on a box of cigars is, is bureaucratic overkill. Yes, yeah, some of these cigar boxes are, are works of art. Yes, they are. I would agree with that. I believe the First Amendment should be able to limit that. What do you see, just kind of to shift gears here a bit before we get into the politically heavy part of our conversation, what do you see or what does the CRA see as the biggest threat to the rights of the cigar enthusiast and aficionado right now? Well, that's a great question. There's different levels of threat and there's different issues that are considered threats. I think under the regulation, the uh, this probably the greatest threat would be compelling pre-market approval of new blends before they could go to market. 
And I also think mandating a testing procedure that could cost single companies tens of millions of dollars. And I'm not being dramatic by using that that type of a number. Ten, one company that we were talking about with the Tobacconist Association of America, one manufacturer that's got 3,000 SKUs, the testing hypothetically could be $64 million. Well, that obliterates that company. $64 million. I mean, it's an insane number for uh, an industry that simply doesn't have the type of margins that other sectors of the tobacco industry have. Um, So, And that's just one example. I mean, you get some of these small craft, small batch uh, production companies, uh, cigar production companies, and there's simply no way on planet Earth they could sustain that level of of financial obliteration. so I think the testing and the pre-market approval of new blends is the probably the you know greatest threat on the federal regulatory side. On the state side, it's taxation and smoking bans. Uh, the states just don't recognize the physical impact that that heavy-handed taxation has, and it simply drives drives the consumer to lower-cost alternatives or zero-tax alternatives. Uh, to purchase their purchase their cigars, and they need to wake up to the economics of that. And uh, getting ever more creative about smoking bans, as our opposition does, uh, threatens you know cigar shops and lounges and bars across the country that are specifically built and specifically run to cater to the premium cigar public. And um, so I, that's the and that same holds that same scenario holds true for the local level. So those are probably the. Uh, that's probably the basket of, of local, state, and federal threats as, as I probably see them today. Let's just circle back to threats from the state government for a second. Uh, the state of Iowa specifically, and, and even the Midwest as a whole, seems like a desert with few lounges or cigar shops. There are none in the town that I live in, which is not a small town. It's the second largest city in Iowa. And this seems to be increasingly due to stringent state laws, as you just pointed out. So what is the CRA doing to combat those laws that are already on the books, or have we reached the point of no return? Well, my question to you is, what's really happened in Iowa since? Because if my memory serves, there's been nothing nothing legislatively at the state level that's impacted the cigar shops and existing cigar lounges in the state in the last 10 years. Am, am I wrong about that? But the one piece of legislation that does consistently get introduced in a place like Iowa, and Iowa specifically, is is attempts to ban smoking in gaming facilities, and that legislation traditionally dies because they know the or they recognize the economics of smoking bans and gaming, which is very very significant. But you know, I, I can't recall of anything in recent history that says it's gotten worse anywhere in the Midwest. Am I wrong about that? It seems that employers are hesitant to allow smoking just because of the liability of it with secondhand smoke. That's when you say employers, what do you mean? You mean average employers or or you mean cigar shops? I would say both. I believe it was 2008 when Cedar Rapids last had a cigar shop. That's ancient history. It hasn't gotten worse since then. No. And that's why I can interrupt gentlemen. Um, I mean, the Iowa's had, um, a few tax increase bills hit the floor, but nothing's ever come across with it. Um, we do have one right now 
um, that's been introduced where they're trying to raise tax um, on the wholesale product from, uh, I believe it's like 27 cents to 64 cents, which that's dramatic. I, I hope that nothing happens with that. Um, as far as uh, trying to get it off the gaming floors, um, I think that's been hit a couple times. And yeah. I know that uh, right now with trying to get um, the the gaming uh, to do uh, sports betting in the casinos, that's their big thing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they pass that, I don't know. Um, I know for smoking, I know like when you get into um, like hospitals and stuff like that, um, you definitely don't want to go into an interview smelling like cigarette smoke or, <laughs> or, smoke no. or anything like that. <laughs> no. um, but yeah, I mean, it's the, the places where you can smoke are, are getting a little fewer and farther between. Um, I know that even when I'm at home and I'm enjoying a cigar in my garage, I tend to try to wait until it's a little bit later at the night, uh, you know, so the kids aren't walking by the front front of the house and all that stuff. But, you know, I don't don't want to have to crawl underneath the blanket uh, in the bedroom in the dark to enjoy a cigar. <laughs> right. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's let's go. Well, ahead. Let me, let me, since you're on that. That's cool of thought, though. I do want to point out that there has been some places this year where where smoking ban legislation has been an absolute scare. Fortunately, it's died in one of them, and it might come up in another. The the worst in the country this year for a proposal, and again for a proposal, was Oklahoma, which was an across-the-board, no-exemption smoking ban. And fortunately, that legislation uh, died uh with their with their session not too long ago just in the last couple of weeks but there is some fear that that similar t- type of no exemption legislation could be reintroduced in louisiana when they come back into session so the state battles are are not over for 2019 neither are several of the tax issues that are, are still lingering until some states adopt their budgets like a minnesota uh so the, you know you can go to cigarrights.org, click on our Legislative Policy Center, and it'll give you a list of all the current state bills that are live that uh, we encourage uh, people from those states, consumers from those states to use to reach their legislators. All they have to do is put in their name and the zip code, and, and our message takes care of the rest. So it's really easy for, for consumers to, to become engaged in the political process like that. Perfect. Let's shift gears here again and, and talk about the politics of all of this. The current climate, the, the current culture, if you will, is extremely polarized and, and very partisan across the country. No, so how does, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How does the CRA cater to cigar enthusiasts and aficionados on both sides of the political aisle? Well, it's a great question. And, uh, and it's very easy. We have friends on both sides of the aisle. Um, I realize, and I want to clarify this from the onset, and I appreciate our discussion before the show uh, about this topic, but um, often it may come across as if we are, you know, for lack of a better term, a bunch of right-wing zealots, <laughs> but that's just by, I think that happens, it's, it's not intentional, but that happens naturally as a result of being against regulation. And that's more of a political philosophical aura that that you take on when you're either for or against regulation. You automatically take on this stigma of being right or left. Well, cigars are different. 
and and the cigar political dynamic is very different. And the proof in the pudding of that is how many Democrats and Republicans we garner on our legislation to prove the point that it's a bipartisan issue. Um, you know, for the last eight years, um, our legislation in the Senate was sponsored by Democrat Senator Bill Nelson of Florida and Republican U.S. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida. Um, this legislation was refiled here on January the 4th, uh, this time because he's the senior senator, senator from Florida. Uh, Republican Marco Rubio, and who signed on on the same day with him, but Democrat Bob Casey of Pennsylvania. And and I haven't memorized all the co-sponsors that rolled out today, uh, yesterday on our House bill, but it's spearheaded by Democrat Congresswoman Kathy Castor, uh, along with her rep- Republican Florida colleague, Bill Posey, Republican of Florida, in a very bipartisan collection of 30 members of the House of Representatives yesterday. Um, and the same thing will happen in the Senate. You know, it'll all, you know, uh, Demo- Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia signs onto a bill sponsored by Republican Marco Rubio of Florida. So I, I point all that out to, to really indicate that we are bipartisan. Now, when it comes to the Trump administration, um, are we having conversations that we would not have had otherwise? Sure. But that's just the nature of the political process. We would have been defending this industry's position with a with a Clinton administration, but that wasn't what happened. And we have to deal with political reality. We also have to deal with the fact and and utilize the fact that this is one of the most, you know, anti-regulatory administrations since since Ronald Reagan. Well, we're fighting regulations, and that's a positive political dynamic for the industry. So you kind of got to set aside your personal feelings. You have to set aside your personal political positions. And I'm not talking about just right now. I'm talking about at any time that you're engaged in the political process, defending an industry like premium handmade cigars. You deal with the political cards that you've been dealt. And you make the absolute best of it for the for the purposes that you believe in. And we just happen to be in an administration that is anti-regulation. Uh, as of last Monday, I think the administration's been in about 760, 783 days, somewhere in that ballpark. And there's been no new regulations you know, since they began. The unified regulatory agenda that the president has issued has put cigar questions on a long-term status, meaning there's no you know, barrage of anticipated uh, punches to the gut with new regulations. Um, but we want to get rid of the looming cloud that, that stays over this industry as long as those original r- rules stay the same. And that's the reason we work with the Trump administration to try to resolve that. So none of that is in a partisan context. It's in a raw political reality context. And I hope that clarifies the issue. Now, you know, we brought up you brought up in our discussion, I want to clarify this. You know, we got this segment uh, with Tucker Carlson from Fox News with Rocky Patel on uh, on our website. Well, it was an amazing, great exchange between these two where our issue was able to reach a national audience that we could not have reached otherwise. And that segment, which was almost five and a half minutes, has now been viewed over 340,000 times, I believe, as a a couple of days ago. Uh, that was a marvelous opportunity. So just because it's on there and happened to be on Tucker's show on Fox 
doesn't make it a partisan website or a partisan statement. It's just us conveying our message to a national audience. Um, and the same holds true when we're having private meetings uh, in, in Washington with members of Congress. I briefed a, a Democrat from New York. I briefed their office uh, the Wednesday before the TAA last week. Uh, got a wonderful response from them. A very sympathetic collection of staff ears, if you will, uh, for our issue with that particular member of Congress from New York and, again, was a Democrat. And Congresswoman Kathy Castor is in the leadership role that she is now with the uh, with the House of Representatives, and she's a fervent supporter, and she'll be helping to do outreach to Democrats in the House while we're working with a, a Republican majority in the Senate. So I, I hope that clarifies that. I hope it, you know, and I'm more than willing to clarify it more if you need it. <laughs> but <laughs> but but I hope that I hope that clearly states the way we play the political game, if you will, and, and how it's not a partisan issue and we're not a partisan organization, but our task is to, to, uh, to mitigate the harm that these regulations can bring to this industry at all levels, from the consumer to the manufacturer. And, you know, th- you've got to have a political strategy to do that. So I hope that helps. It does. Absolutely. I think that answers the question very clearly. You're not partisan. You're bipartisan. You'd work with whichever administration was in office and you're there to protect the cigar industry and and not push a political agenda. The only political agenda is mitigating the harm these regulations can bring. And, uh, but we are fortunate that we're dealing with an anti-regulatory time in the executive branch. And that's one of the reasons we rolled out the roller cigar roller coalition a couple of weeks ago, uh, because of the, the ability for that to place an emphasis that we're dealing with uh, American jobs here, uh, just from the rolling community, much less over 25,000 jobs at risk as a result of these regulations in the distribution, logistics, uh, import, export, corporate headquarters uh, sector of the of the industry, and and you know threatening American jobs with bureaucratic regulations is a is a strong part of the platform of this current administration. And we need to use that to our advantage to, to mitigate the harm that these regulations can do, as I say over and over again. So uh, I hope that helps clarify it, but we're going to, you know, in the United States Senate, it only takes one to cause a train wreck only takes one. And there's more than one that are violently anti-tobacco. And uh, we, we actively work with both sides of the aisle to tell our story so that we can, uh, so that we can, hopefully successfully get our message across to both the Congress and the administration. So again, I hope that helps. It really does. Thank you so much for answering that question because I know that in this current environment, questions and answers like this are not always easy to ask or answer. So I appreciate your candor. That's one of the more fun ones to answer. (laughs) Absolutely. I found that political conversations usually go better when both parties are smoking a nice cigar. Because I'm fond of saying in Jefferson's Virginia, you you have every right to be wrong. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not implying that you're wrong about any of this. You, you, you've laid it all out very, very clearly and been more than fair. Uh, but my, my only point is, you know, when you're in these political arguments you're with somebody that just doesn't get it, I always look at them and just say, well, you have every right to be wrong. But, um, but fortunately, again, I just can't say this enough. Fortunately, cigars are such a bridge builder. Uh, in terms of political conversation, whether you're sitting in a cigar shop 
or sitting with a member of Congress. And we're such a small piece of the entire tobacco puzzle that it's a much easier message to sell. And a lot of good's happened, and and some harm has been mitigated, uh, but we've got a long way to go. And the one thing is for bloody sure is that this threat is not going away, no matter who's president of the United States, no matter who. That, this is the law of the land, and as long as you've got an active fourth branch of government in the name of the American bureaucracy, this there's going to be a constant state of threat. So in that regard, this is really the new normal for the industry. With this being the new normal for the industry, tell our listeners how they can help and how they can get involved with the Cigar Rights of America. Well, I appreciate that. And and it's really easy. You know, go to Cigar Rights. That's with an S. Go to CigarRights.org. Sign up. You can do it right now for $25. We'll ship you two great cigars for doing it. You'll get a membership card that's good for discounts uh, across the country. We have uh, gatherings and and, uh, and events across the country that we invite all of our members and, and patrons out to. To you, you and I were talking about Wisconsin. We're going to be out there twice this year uh, in June and August. Uh, we, Like I said, we just got back from Big Smoke, uh, Florida. Uh, there's going to be probably a dozen more events throughout the rest of this calendar year that we all can gather and uh, smoke and talk and enjoy each other's company with. And all that's a part of being a part of Cigar Rights of America. But it's also a critical component of this is to build us build us up as a political constituency. And that's what people like Tim help us to do. Um, doing political outreach to members' offices. Uh, you know, we'll have soon we'll have Tim hand-delivering a packet, now that we got this House bill filed yesterday, hand-delivering a packet with a complete background on the economics and the public health questions and the regulatory issues confronted by the industry, hand-delivering that to members of the House and Senate and their local offices within the state of Iowa and throughout the country. Uh, we'll be asking, with by Friday afternoon, we'll be asking cigar consumers across the country to fill out our petition to the new Congress. And yes, we have to start all over with the 116th session of Congress to fill out that petition that will automatically, with your name and zip code, be sent to your your uh, two U.S. senators and your member of the House of Representatives. Um, it's the best $18,000 we spend annually is that is that petition system that we can link to any legislature across the country and the entire U.S. Congress to where we help you connect with your elected officials at any level. Um, and so we just ask cigar consumers and patrons to be engaged in the process to help defend their passion for great cigars. It sounds like a small thing compared to a lot of the other loftier issues confronting the country, but it's one of the simple things. It's one of the simple pleasures that we have. And because it is one of the simple pleasures that we have, it shouldn't be threatened by the federal government or any level of government. So uh, that's what we ask our volunteers like Tim and others to do across the country. And uh, it's a great way to be involved. So I would also encourage any of your listeners to uh, to talk about being an ambassador for CRA and help us out at events, help us spread the word, help us galvanize local patrons, whether it's at the so- local cigar shop or lounge or just your local friends that that constitute a cigar club. And uh, it, again, it's all about building us up as a constituency that, so that we can get our political message heard. So it's through uh, broadcasts like this that we can help uh, reach a much, much wider audience. 
And I will put those links in the show notes so that our listeners can find them easily and sign up. Executive Director for the Cigar Rights of America, Glenn Loop, and one of the CRA ambassadors for the state of Iowa, Tim Allen. I want to thank you both for coming on Simply Stogies, carving out some time for myself and for my listeners. For myself, as a new cigar smoker, a lot of this is new information and can be pretty confusing. You both did a wonderful job breaking this down for us. So again, I just want to say thank you. Uh, would either of you like to share where we can find you on social media? Well, thank you for the, I hope I didn't hog, I should have, Tim, you should do more talking. <laughs> I, I should I just should. shut the, I, I, I'm, I, I should just shut your... the hell up about it, but let's, Tim, is there anything you want to add? Because I just have this tendency to ramble. <laughs> no, no, you know, um, I, I do appreciate you having us on here. Um, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I'm glad you're from Iowa, um, getting the word out. Um, and uh, go to the CRA website, cigarrights.org. Um, sign up to be a member. Um, look for look for events in your area. Don't be afraid to travel. And and hopefully one of uh, myself or one of the other ambassadors will be there. And if you're already a CRA member, bring your CRA member card and just show us because that just makes us feel really good. Um, if you want to contact me via just about any social media platform out there, um, I go by. By, uh, Midwest Ashes. Um, so and Twitter is uh, at Midwest Ashes. Uh, and uh, same thing with Instagram. Unfortunately, uh, I'm not on Facebook and there's there's a few reasons for that. It occupies mainly it occupies way too much of my time and my employer doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and if anybody's got any questions they'd like to ask, feel free to send them to info at cigarrights.org. That's our general email address and we'd be glad to answer specific questions about legislators, about outreach to specific legislators, or if you'd like a, uh, to download a packet of information you can hand deliver to their local offices, uh, just send us a note at info at cigarrights.org and somebody will get back to you. Again, gentlemen, thank you so much. Executive Director for the Cigar Rights of America, Glenn Loop, and one of the CRA ambassadors for the state of Iowa, Tim Allen. Tim, uh, I want to have you back on at a later date because I'd like to talk to you about your closet humidor project that you've been working on. That'll be a good one. I'd like to invite everyone to go to www.cigarrights.org and become a member of the Cigar Rights of America today to help secure your cigar rights. We went a little long this week, so unfortunately, I won't be sharing with you my review of the Guardian of the Farm Apollo. However, I promise I will share it with you sometime soon. I hope you'll join me next time where we may have a surprise or two for you, uh, possibly even something on a location somewhere. So I hope you'll join us again soon here at Simply Stogies. Until then, stay smoky, friends. <laughs>